0: Turn to Luke chapter 17. I'm sure you've got a mark of some sort in Luke 17. We've been there many times, referenced it quite often. It's a wonderful lesson, a lesson that every Christian needs to gather in and get a hold of. Beginning in verse 5, And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith let me stop there for just a moment, and then we'll pick up the rest of it as we come to it. First of all, these are men that follow Jesus around, hand-picked men, guys that Jesus went out and said, you, you, follow me. And they did. They just left and followed him. They didn't know where he was going, didn't even know him. But there's something about God's power that just overwhelms people, and they respond. He can make people do that. Follow me, and they got up and left. Tax collector making a lot of money. Follow me. Fisherman with his boat, nets and all that expensive. Follow me. Now, these guys followed him around, and I doubt if there was ever a time they weren't talking amongst themselves about, wow, there was no disease that he could not heal. There was no impairment that he could not fix. There was no physical condition that he could not correct and make like new or make it perfect. And he could set hundreds down by a seashore, thousands. He could set 5,000 men, I don't know how many women and children, but he could set down 5,000 men and feed them all with just a few fishes and loaves and have 12 baskets full left over from a sack lunch. And he could walk on the water, he did. He knew things that people were thinking about and told them before they even said it. It was just amazing. If we had been in that group, if you and I had been following him, we would have been in wonder and awe most of the time. Who is this? And they finally recognize you, thou art the Son of God. You're he. No man could do what you do unless God sent him. You're the Messiah. And so they saw the emphasis that he put on faith because it seemed like when they asked him questions, Lord, why couldn't we cast out this demon? He said, because of the littleness of your faith, our faith. That's not much of anything the church is interested in today. I mean, it's just a name, but the Catholic Methodist Baptist faith, it's not like a a need I mean, doesn't everybody uh, that goes to church have faith? We all believe something, don't we? Faith is like a mustard seed; it's just a little thing. Probably the most insignificant subject in the church when it comes to what's important. Who would put that at the top of the list? But Jesus did. He did. He said you couldn't cast him out because of your faith. Walking on the water, begin to sink. And Jesus said to him, oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? He could have said, but at least I walked a little bit on the water. That wasn't good enough. That wasn't acceptable. Jesus rebuked him. Forgot to take bread. He said it again, oh, you have little faith. He saw them tear the roof off of a building once and lower a handicapped fellow down in their midst. And he wound up saying his faith made him whole. In Matthew 9, here was blind men, and he said, Be it unto you according to your faith. There was a fig tree in Mark 11. They said, Look, the tree you cursed a day or two later, look. The thing's dying. He said, Have faith in God. First subject. First thing he brought up was faith. Made an issue of it. Every time they turned around, it had something to do with faith. He was constantly talking to them about faith. He even said once, if you can believe, nothing shall be impossible to you. And I know they must have thought, how could this be? I mean, we're just ordinary tax collectors, fishermen. We're just ordinary people. Yet he said to them that if you can believe, not only are all things possible to you, but nothing will be impossible. What things ever you desire when you pray, if you believe, you shall receive. How many of you believe that that became an issue? He didn't talk like that about love. He elevated love, but he didn't use it like he did faith. He didn't talk about the joy of the Lord or service to God or church attendance or giving. He talked about nothing in all of his ministry like he did about faith. And he made an issue of it everywhere he went. He talked about it all the time. Even at the tomb of Lazarus. Oh, he's dead. He's dead. If you'd been here earlier, <laughs> no, he's dead. He'd been buried now for three or four days. And by now, he stinketh. And Jesus said, what? Only believe. John 11. Only believe. Only believe. That's all he said. It doesn't matter what condition is in the world. It doesn't matter what condition is on the earth. Just believe. That's too easy, isn't it? It must be because this message now has grown quiet, wherever it is. It's just not a message that is either understood or believed. It's more of a message of wonder. Can it really be? Is all of that possible today? Of course Jesus could do it. Well, I'll tell you what, they did it before Jesus got here. Power of God was all over the earth historically before Jesus ever came. I think there was an old prophet somewhere, had a servant. The servant ran in one day and said, Oh, my, we are going to die. We're surrounded. You know what the prophet said? The Lord opened his eyes and let him see. He didn't even go out to look. They didn't even go out to look. And the prophet's servant, he went outside because he was told to and his eyes were open and he saw the angels of the Lord camped all about them. He lost his fear. He wasn't afraid anymore. A Syrian captain, remember, dipped himself in that Jordan, and I've been to the Jordan River, it is nasty, down where we were. He dipped himself in there and he was made whole of an incurable disease. There was no known cure on this planet, and Jesus said, go dip yourself seven times in this river Jordan, and he did, and he came away clean. Now, all of that was said, and it brings us up to Jesus, and he said, if you can believe. Didn't he say this? Not only the things that I have done will you do, but you do something greater. You got an unlimited possibility looking at you as you go through life. That is, your personal life. You're going to have troubles and trials. You're going to have conflicts, adversaries, and difficulties. You're going to have all of that. You're going to know what pain is by the time you're done. You're going to be tested and tried until you know how to use faith and what it is, or you'll fail and you'll stumble through life. One of the two. But Jesus is going to make sure that his people hear about the message of faith. It's going to be drilled into their hearts, and they're going to have many opportunities to apply it and make use of it to learn a lesson. And to learn a way. The only way we can walk with God is by faith. You can't see him. He doesn't audibly just speak to us all day long, tell us what to do. It's not like we heard his voice or have ever seen him. I wasn't there when he supposedly came out. You know out of that tomb, I'm thinking. I know he's not supposedly out of the tomb, but out of the one I saw. I didn't see him rise. I didn't see anything. I read about it. And all I've got to base my life on, all of my tomorrows, my body, my health, everything I know is based on what's written here. And that will only benefit me if I believe it. Because I can go to church all my life and sing about this and talk about this and memorize this, and it won't benefit me any until I believe it. So having said all of that, I suppose I suppose these disciples that were following Jesus heard him talk in private about faith, saw what he did. The answers he often gave them had to do with faith. His rebuke was in faith. You remember they woke him up in the back of a boat and at the end of Mark chapter 4 and they woke him up and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he woke up And still the wind and the waves and the sea and I guess the boat just suddenly got calm. The, The sea got calm. You know what he said? He said, how is it that you have no faith? Ordinary people like you and me, ordinary common people without all the book learning of that day. Wasn't any of that. And he said to you things that they could never understand. Pharisees couldn't have grasped this and got a hold of this and done this. If they tried with all their might, all of them together, if they could cut all their heads off and put them in one head, they still couldn't get it. And yet he took common people like me and you and gave the greatest treasure that a human mind could ever have, and that's an understanding of the Word of God. And when they got it, they got it. They changed the whole world. After they were scattered and Jesus was crucified, And they were scattered throughout the world. They went about and changed the whole world. In fact, we're a part of all that. We're a part of all that scattering. We have believed their report. Most people don't. Most Christians don't, but we have. So it comes down, here we are in the, what I think is the last days, coming down to the end. And we're asking ourselves, as we look at that verse, Why did they say increase our faith? Why didn't they say increase our love? That was greater. Increase our joy, that's the testimony everybody can see. Why did they say, Lord, increase our faith? Because of the obvious importance that Jesus put on it. Let me ask you a question. Why is it important for us? If I ask you this question, if we were sitting alone privately talking, why is it important for us as Christians, not talking about the church you go to or who your parents are, but just you as an individual who professes to have faith in God. Why is it important for you as a Christian to have strong faith? Because faith, when it operates, wouldn't you agree with me that it's strong? Is that important? Why is it important? Let me just give you a few things that you should already know just to encourage you. You want strong faith, and faith is important because, first of all, it's the only way the Bible says that we can please God. There is no other way for us to please God. Hebrews 11:6, 6, that without faith, it is impossible to please him. But, Lord, we're building. Look what we're building. Look how hard we're trying. Look where, that's all good and noble, and those are exercises of some desire to want to serve God or be a Christian and devoted in some way. But the only way you can please God is by faith. He that cometh to God must believe. It's not an option. People have said to me earlier in my life when I was traveling a lot and running into a lot of people that I didn't know, a lot of conversations like that, but that was early on, but people used to ask, well, you know, not everybody can have faith like that. I had a few experiences in my life, Bonnie and I did, and they thought that nobody was like that. I was no different than they are, and you know that now. After all these years, he's no different than we are. God honors faith. If it's from one of these youngsters here or one of these oldsters, God honors faith. He's no respecter of persons. I don't care who you are. You could be a teenager or you could be Maddie's age. It doesn't matter. If you can believe, all things are possible. He didn't say if you're a man, if you're a woman, if you live in India or if you live in America or if you live in Los Angeles or you're not in Arkansas or if you live in England but not down in South America. It didn't even say where you live. He said if you can believe, all things are possible, wherever you are, whoever you are, if you can believe. What else can I do as a substitute for that to please God? So he'll be said, well done. There's nothing. There's nothing. The fact that I'm willing to take God at his word. This is what he said. That's all I got. This is all I got. And I'm willing, well, my wife and I, 44 years ago, we decided to base our life, our future, our reputations, our circle of friends, all of our tomorrows, knowing that this is gonna be a radical change and that people are gonna have radical things to say. You're gonna lose a lot of friends. We don't know if you'll gain any, but you know that if you walk this way, you're not gonna have a lot of people's admiration. And we didn't. I got a bunch of new friends. All the people I grew up with are nice and polite, but they remember. They remember that, man, you're about half crazy. You know why? Because we believed what they heard. We sat in the same church. Our Jewish guide on our trip to Israel was making a point about what Israel is doing with the land. And then he said, over there is the same land over in the Palestinian quarter over there, where all the goats and stuff, where he said, they got the same dirt on their side as we got on our side. The difference is in what you're doing with it. That's the way of this book. We got the same book. We all got the same book. The rich don't get a better one than the poor. You might pay more for it, but it's no better. We got the same book. We can listen to the same tape, same channel, whatever you, wherever you get it, same preacher. And some of those will perish, and some of those will be saved. It all depends on what you do with it. And the only right thing any of us can do with what God says is to believe it. To believe what God said the way he says is to have faith in God. I'm taking you at your word. I am counting on you to do what you said even though there's no evidence, natural evidence to support the fact that you even will. Even Christians look around and they turn away, they hold back and say, well, who's he ever done this for? Who's ever been fixed to this or who's ever been fixed to that? They can't point to anybody that they've seen this work for. So there's this fear that you might step out there and be another statistic. So people draw back. It's fear. Fear is the most common enemy we all have. Fear can change your whole life. Fear, being afraid. And yet, if you'll face fear, like the psalmist said, at what time I am afraid, I will trust the Lord. That God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love and a power and a sound mind. And all of that is accessed by faith. That is, I take God at his word, and I choose as an act of my will, I choose to believe that God will do what he said. I don't see any evidence of it yet. I can't make him do it. My faith doesn't make it work. It works whether I believe it or not. The word isn't true because you trust God, is it? The word is true because it says what it says, not because you believe it. So it's the only way I can please God. I want faith. I'm not standing here tonight assuming that I have faith. I'm not assuming that any of you all have faith. But I know the facts apply to me, and they apply to you. Facts meaning truth, that if without faith, we can't please God. And all we can do is read this and sing about it and spend our whole life wondering why it doesn't work. Well, it's supposed to work, and I choose to believe that it will work. Remember in Hebrews 10, He said, the just shall live by what? Faith. faith. But... Now, this is what it says. Your Bible, but if any man draws back, and there's thousands of reasons that we draw back, good, logical, intelligent decisions. People call it, well, that was smart. You know, you're about to go under. He said, the just, those that have been made right with God shall live by faith. But if any man draws back, God says, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Hebrews 10, 38. So we want to make sure that this becomes an issue in my life wherever I go to church, whoever I listen to, whatever I profess. May I, first of all, settle in my heart that God puts a lot of emphasis on faith and I want to also because another thing that I read in here is that another reason that I want my faith to be strong is because that's how God's appointed way for us to obtain these promises. Turn with me, if you would, for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 6. Now, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. He says, unto us was church membership granted as well as it was to them. Let me try it again. Unto us... Did we get a new forward? No. Unto us was a good news preached as well as unto them. What's he saying? Paul's saying the word that I'm preaching to you, the the word that we're hearing tonight that comes out of the Bible, he says this word was preached before. Another covenant. The same promises that were made to Abraham and to Israel, the the same promises... The same promises are made to you. For all the promises of God are in him, Christ, yes, and amen. The promises were not made unto Abraham and his seed as of many, like seeds, but as of one, Abraham and his seed, that is Christ. So the promises of the Abrahamic covenant were given to Christ and all of those between him and Christ, we are his, and it applies to us. But it only comes about one way. Notice, unto us was a good news preached as well as unto them, but the word they heard, this is church talk now, it's the way the modern church is talking, but the word that they heard didn't do them any good. Why? Didn't God say he's a healing God? Well, then why are so many sick people in the world? Didn't God save that he had compassion? Then why are so many people mercilessly dying all over the world? Well, you can answer that real easy with this. If God is a saving God, why are so many people in the world lost? It's a simple answer because they don't want to be saved. They don't want to give up their old life. They don't want to walk in newness of life. They don't want it. Preach it to them. Go grab three or four of them tomorrow downtown at some place. Just tell them that they need to be saved. It might hit you right in the mouth. They don't want to hear this. In America, we get hard to it. And you notice there's a trend in this world. More and more religions of the world are anti-Christian life, the Christian message. We see it mostly around the Muslims. Whatever they believe, and I'm not interested. But you see a lot of that. Just the absolute turn off to the world is Christ and anybody that wants to talk about Jesus because the world is a place to have fun, and all Christ does is interfere with it. And consequently, in the church too. Church, no different. Not much. Where was so and so tonight? He went to a ball game. Oh, is he one of the leaders in the church? Yeah. Went to a ballgame, yeah. What's going on? We're living in that time in which, you know, we assume we have what we need. We assume we don't need all of this. We assume we don't have to be here. We assume that all this, you know, this is an option. It's good if we did, but if you don't, you're going to heaven anyway. Who taught that? Jesus said the way is narrow, didn't he? He said, only a few, only a few will be able to enter, and many will seek to enter, but will not be able. I want to be one of the few. I'll go through, precious Jesus, I'll go through. Well, if you don't, you wasted your whole life. And you realize one day as you look back on your life at Smolder, you didn't have any fun. All them escapades you went through, all them drinks and parties and drugs and wild women or whatever, men, I guess, too, they go both ways a day. Now here you are looking back at the ruins. Wasn't fun at all, was it? Absolutely the easiest thing you ever did was give up. Give it up. Turn away from Christ, do your own thing, live your own life, go by your own pace, be your own man, your own woman assume that you have plenty of time. You don't need that right now. You know what your brother said? He got it the rest of his life. Get ready for the Lord. Didn't know the truck was going to start flipping over, and he just had a 14-inch hole to crawl out of his truck with his body all burned. You didn't know that. Who does? It just happens so quick, and if you're not ready to go, you don't have time to get ready now. But God's fair. We're all well tonight, aren't we? Nobody's turning over right now, are they? Everybody's comfortable right now. Then it's fair because God gives us fair moments to talk to our hearts about our souls. Because you can walk through this life, you can gain the world. Lose your soul, you've lost something you cannot gain back. It's over. Now, you obtain these promises. As I I started out saying, y'all got me off track. You obtain these promises. By faith. And the reason a lot of people hear about the word and it doesn't benefit them is because they don't believe it. Look at chapter 6 and verse 12. Just cross the page or the next page. Be not slothful, but followers of those who through what? There's that word again. What does faith and patience do in that verse, in one verse? Inherit the promises. In other words, the promises that God makes in his word don't just come to you because you went Sunday school class like I did, and you can read it. Doesn't come because you memorize all of this, and you got a ribbon for memorizing chapters one, two, and three of Proverbs. It doesn't work because you do that. That's academic stuff. It works, and it comes to pass. It benefits you. It profits you when you believe it. When you believe it, folks, it's God or nothing. And that's what scares people. But that's how you get these things to come to pass. This is what your faith does. It brings you all these promises. If any man lacks, let him ask of God, who, James 1, ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, doesn't smack you for it. But then this verse, James chapter 1, what verse 5 or 6, he said, But let him ask in faith... Without wavering or doubting, the Greek word, diakrino, it means to waver. How long will you halt in the Old Testament? How long will you halt between two opinions? Remember that, Mount Carmel? How long will you halt, Elijah said, between two opinions? If God is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve Baal. Do one or the other. Hot or cold, make a decision. God doesn't play the middle. It's either or. It's a yes or an no." All of life with God is yes or no, no alternatives, no substitutes. But I said, that sounds harsh because you've never heard it. But he said, in James 1 again, he said that let him ask in faith without wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, and he's this way, not sure about this, not sure about that. And God says, let not that man what? Yes. Think that he shall receive anything from God. Well, I don't want to be like that. I want to know what I believe. I don't want to be, oh, God, oh, he said he will, but I don't know, he doesn't feel like he's going to. I said he will, but I can't say that. I don't want to do that. I want to throw in with God and say, if God said it, he'll do it. I want to be like Acts 27, verse 25, when the ship was about to go down and Paul said, wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. I don't need to see any evidence of safety. I've got a word from God that says we're all going to be spared. Praise the Lord. Then they had to swim. They had to be dashed against the rocks and the waves were thrashing. I'm sure they were bruising better when they got on the land. God didn't keep that from them, but they were alive. The whole bunch. See, I want faith that does it. I want my faith to be able to rescue me. I want my faith to rescue my whole family. For I have a promise in the Bible that concerns my family. And I want to put God in remembrance. That's Isaiah 43 and verse 26, to put God in remembrance and declare what he said back to him. Because he said his word will not return empty. Didn't he? So we send his word back. Well, it doesn't matter what you say if you don't believe it, but when you believe it, then God will respond to it. I'll tell you something else about, in talking in James chapter 1 there, another reason why you want strong faith is so you can mature and grow. You're going to be tested and tried your whole life. You're going to experience pain, adversity, difficulty. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Suffer persecution. That's how you know what you believe. You can sit in this nice, quiet place tonight and assume you believe everything. I believe it all. See what you believe when the trouble comes. See what you believe when the nights get long and dark. I've danced many a night and struggled many a night with kids that were not doing well, and they probably weren't half as bad off as I thought they were, but the devil makes it as bad as he can. And then he acts on your mind like, oh, this is the big one. Oh, this isn't going to come through. Shaving or whatever, or bathing, and you feel a lump, and oh boy, this is a big one. Next thing you know, he gives you another picture like this <laughs> in some pretty little box. See, we can laugh because it's funny now, and it's funny to those that hadn't happened to. But when it happens, it's a war. But then you get to find out what all that stuff you've been saying, all that stuff you've been writing down in your notes all those things you've been talking about to each other, now you get to find out if you believe all that. See, it's easy to write things down and talk about it. It's something else to walk it out and to live. I mean, live or die, if this is it, then I'll die doing this. But I'm going to stay with the Lord. It's when the world, the church world, thinks you're nuts. You're some kind of a cult. You know why you're some kind of a cult? Because you're willing to trust God with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. That's Proverbs 3. And you seem to be such a strange breed, because a a dead modern church, a dead liberal modern church, man-centered, man-honoring, and man-made scoffs at the idea that we would just trust God with all of our hearts. I mean, with all the medical accomplishments, all the laboratory findings and the, all the things that we've had in this modern age, why would anybody reject any of that? See, what if the Christian, what if God comes on and says, in light of all that you've got here, that the world depends on, what's wrong with trusting in the Lord? God said to his people more than once, have I not said enough to you? Have I not done enough? Have I not displayed my power and my strength to you enough? Have I not given you this and given you that, and now you won't trust me? Have I failed you somewhere? And he'd say, no, no. But, you know, again, faith faith is a wonderful thing, and it's so easy to just assume that you have it. I know how that works. And I know we just have to hold tight, hold on, because I'll tell you something else I do want in my life. I prefer and I desire a scriptural testimony. I want to be able to say what the Lord said. I do. I know what people say. Have you ever heard that song? Have you ever heard that song with words in it? Would anybody like to come up and sing it? (laughs) Kenny, you want to come up and sing it? It says, to God be the glory. Great things he has done. That's a good testimony, isn't it? To God be the glory. They were coming after you with a jacket to wrap you up in it. And park your miserable mind and body in some kind of a cubicle. And God did a miracle. And they stopped. They said, what happened? To God be the glory. And we started singing. And they went ahead and put you in that cubicle. But anyways. (laughs) There is a church today. There's a religious mindset today in Christian religion. In America, that has a form of godliness, but it denies the power of it. And you're told to turn away from that. And you feel so rude when you do. You feel so exclusive and like you're so much better than everybody. Well, you're not better than anybody, you're just trying to obey the Lord. You know what the word godliness means? having a form of godliness, the, word, the Greek word eusebia. There's probably many different definitions coming from different scholarly uh, viewpoints. But one I heard once was it, it refers to a right, true, vital relationship with God. It is the basis of what makes a relationship right, or it's the fruit of that relationship. It's godliness, godlikeness. God-centeredness, God-directedness, that you are simply responding in your life. Your faith is putting into play what God has said. And there are many who have a form of that. Spend millions of dollars with the designs and all the stuff. And and I'm not against a better, a newer building. This little cathedral of yesterday is is getting a little weary. But anyway, I'm just saying that you can't make faith because you have a lot of money. You can't make something the way it ought to be by spending money on it. If spending money on things fixed it, this country would be pristine. But it's not. All right, now. Go back to your texts. Are you? If you got away from Luke, go back to it. I want to start now. All right, Luke chapter seventeen and verse five again. He said, "Lord, increase our faith. We want our faith to be more than what we got increased, or what we have to be more of what it ought to be." What's the first word? That Jesus said in response, in verse 6, and the Lord said, and what's the first word? If. If. Now, what does if mean? Well, we're not trying to be technical, but if means it's really a choice you have to make. It's up to you. Nobody can make this choice for you. A mother can't for her child. A child can't for their parents. A preacher can't for the people. The people can't for the preacher. (coughs) He said if. Now, I got to deal with this. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say to this sycamine tree, whatever kind of tree that is, be thou plucked up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and that tree would come up by its roots, become airborne, and head for the Mediterranean. It wouldn't want to go in the Dead Sea because it would never sink. It had to go to the Mediterranean. That's a longer trip anyway. Now think of this. Think of this. When they said, Lord, increase our faith, Jesus did not give them a direct answer. But he began talking about faith. He, does it all, he did it all through the Bible. You read, just note it as you read. Lord, increase our faith. We know the emphasis you put on what it does and how you attribute all the Make ours like that. Jesus said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, that little insignificant seed that is a little bitty thing, if you had faith like that, how many of you know a mustard seed has no mind and no conscience? It's just a seed we're going to make an illustration with. If you had faith, as a grain of mustard seed has, <clears throat> this is what would happen in your life as you live in Shelbyville or wherever you're from in the world. Wherever you're from, this is what would be possible. This is a latent potential in your heart and in your lives. He, he, he says you would tell a tree if you're necessary. I don't think you can go around and just say, let me try this faith thing out tree, get up and leave and go to the Ohio River. It doesn't work that way. It's not a show. But if you had faith and a situation came up and it was necessary, this is what you would do, and the tree would go up by the roots and would be cast into the sea. Now let me ask you something. If that ever happened to anybody in this room and any of your friends were with you, what would your friends do? They look at you and say, "Well, thank you. That's good." They would probably go, "Whoa, (gasps) (gasps) (sighs) 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 something like that," you know. Coming from an older man is, you know, uh, whatever you do. If I saw that happen, one of you did it, I'd, I'd, I'd be on your team. I would be, I would probably be the leader of your fan club. I promote you. You know why? Because i never seen anybody do that. And anybody that could do that in harmony with what God said in his word has a connection with God I haven't seen before. Now, I benefit my life from hanging around you. But I want some of that to rub off, Lord, increase our faith too. He said, if you had that faith like a mustard seed, you'd tell that tree to go giddy-up and go to the ocean, go to the creek, river, wherever you want to go, and it would go. You see, Jesus is talking about mustard seed. As I said earlier, you know, faith in the church today, if you can list all the different subjects out here that the, that the church admires and things they like to hear, messages they like to hear, and you got about love and and walking on the water and the tomb and the resurrection and, and the, 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 the good Samaritan. All these wonderful little sermons there, by If you said, how about how faith works? You probably, if you had one of those ice picks and you had enough time, if you could scrape through there, we did this at an archaeological site over there when we were in Israel trying to find something special in there. You might find, what's that little thing? What is that? What is that? F, A, I, what is that? I, T, faith. Oh, isn't that cute? Oh, yeah, that must be what we belong to. Look at all these, you know what? It's a little insignificant subject as I stand here tonight hopefully representing God to you. A human being like you hopefully saying something that God inspires and your eyes can be opened, your heart can be encouraged or corrected, whatever it is. Faith is just a little thing that most people are not interested in and I have found one church I remember up in Cleveland spoke one night at a Church, and a lot of people came. And the next night, there wasn't even, you could have filled the first two rows up here with people. You know what I'm talking about? Faith. How faith works. What it is, how it works. Didn't talk about what I talked about tonight, about how important it was, just how it only had two or three days. It takes two or three years, but only had two or three days. And you can't teach people who won't come. If people don't want to hear it, they won't come and hear it. You can't make people hear this, can you? I wish you could. I wish you had some kind of machine or some kind of a, something you could just, and everybody that had a shot, boy, would just get it. I'd shoot you all so bad. (laughs) I'd shoot, I'd load up, man, you'd think a machine gun was up here. Because we would all be on the right note with God if we could do that. But, But this thing about the mustard seed, the least of all the seeds, and yet God made that seed like this, as little as it starts out to be, a little insignificant thing. When you've got it and you, and you promote it, you feed it and do whatever you do to seeds and water it, it begins to grow, and when the time it gets through growing, it is greater than all the other seeds. So that we have to step back and marvel at how such a little thing could become such a great thing. That even birds found their nesting places in this little tiny seed as they begin to grow. He talks about our faith like that. Look at Matthew 13. Put your, keep your finger in Luke 17. Go back to Matthew chapter 13. And look at verse 32. That's the sower and the seed chapter. Matthew 13. And verse 32. Well, verse 31, another parable he put to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a grain of mustard seed. A little bitty thing, not important. Which is... uh, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is what? The least of all seeds. But when it is grown, at least in the eyes of the author here, when it is grown, it is the greatest among the herbs and becomes a tree and so on and so forth. I think he's telling us something about our faith too, that what you could realize if if this was happening in your life is is as dramatic as what happened when you planted, and all these birds come to it. See, God God made it to be great. The little seed says, "You plant me, and I'll grow." In fact, while you're back there in uh, Matthew, look in 17, because it's a counter to what we're talking about tonight. Matthew 17 and verse 14. Look at this difference different things, but the same story. I mean, but the same illustration uh, that's in Luke 17. Uh, Matthew 17, verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down, saying to him, Lord, have mercy on me, for my son is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often to the water. This must be one of those fathers that was heartbroken because there was nothing he could do for his son. Nobody could help him. Nobody could fix it. Nobody even warned him around because all these strange things that he did. And there was one man. He said, have mercy on, on us. My, my son is grievously vexed, falls into the water. He could drown. I brought him to the disciples. They couldn't do anything. Verse 17, Jesus said, listen to what he said, O pervert, faithless, and perverse generation. How long am I going to be with you? How long will I allow or suffer you? Bring the boy here. Was that a rebuke to his disciples? Sure was. Not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be able to do something about it too, aren't we? It's like the stormy sea and Jesus sleeping in the boat. How is it you have no faith? Weren't they supposed to do something about it? Well, okay, let me finish this. Verse 18, And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples and said to him, Why couldn't we cast it out? And he said, Because of your unbelief. Isn't that amazing? These guys followed him everywhere he went. They had already been sent out two by two and had already done miraculous things. Remember, they came back once and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in thy name. They had done it once. And here came a man with this problem and they couldn't cast it out. We'll get to that maybe in just shortly here, almost. Why couldn't they cast it out? He said, well, the mustard seed would get a problem with the mustard seed, I suppose. Sometimes that mustard seed begins to grow and it gets bigger than other people's mustard seeds, and man begins to like what he sees and begins to bark about his own tree. Look what I got. What you got. Is that all the bigger your tree is? Come over here. Look at my tree. Yeah. Yeah, I cast out devils. Yeah. Oh, sure. I, yeah, I've healed a lot of people. you really something, aren't you? Well, you know how. (laughs) I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Go back to Luke 17. Go back to Luke 17. Which of you, verse 7, having a servant, plying or feeding cattle, We'll say to him by and by when he comes in from the field, he's your servant, go, in, go, go clean yourself up and, and fix my supper. That's his job, isn't it? That's what he's getting paid to do. Thank you. And will not uh, rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird yourself and serve me until I have eaten and then I've drunk and then afterwards you can eat and drink. Now, verse 9, does he thank that servant because he did the things which were commanded him? I, I say not. Oh, Jesus, why wouldn't you thank a man when you pay him if, if I pay, if I'm paying Kenneth here twenty dollars an hour to, to work for me doing something? And when he gets paid and he does his job, has he only done what he was hired to do? You're not supposed to say, Wow, thank you so much. It's not free. He got paid to do that, thank you. You know. Jesus said this lesson here talk about pride and about you know faith walk you've been doing this and people talk about you and yeah you laid hands on this when you laid hands on that when you prophesied here prophesied there and you've seen this and you walked this out and you got a house paid for and blah 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 jesus said in verse 17 10 10 he said so likewise you when you have done all those things which are suggested that you do I'm sorry, commanded you, say this, we are unprofitable servants. We have only done that which we were supposed to do. One translation says it like this. It says, there is no profit in us for we have only done what we were ordered to do. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, what, what's, what's he talking about here? He started, Lord, increase our faith. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, this would happen. But now, let me tell you a story about a guy working for a guy and does all this. And he said, and working, he said, now you too, when you have done all the things that you're supposed to do, don't take credit for it. Don't act like you did it, because you've only done what you're supposed to do. The power came from God. You can put your name on your bulletin if you want to. let everybody admire you and look at you like, oh, man. You can do that if you want to, but all you're doing is taking attention away from Jesus to yourself. You're making yourself out to be something that without God, you're nothing. We're all hoses. All of us are just a hose. I'll grant that some hoses are prettier than other hoses, but a hose is a hose. And what's a hose for? Carry water. Unless a hose carries water, what good's a hose? You ever see a rich man buy a 100% South American, high-class, high-tech rubber hose? Costs eight hundred dollars for this hose. Lays it out in his expensive manicured yard. Lays it out there and picks it up and starts griping because it don't work. What's wrong with it? Ain't got water in it. Well, where do I get the water? Over here. So you tighten it up on the spigot, and you turn the spigot on, you get water. What does the water do? It causes mustard seed, or causes stuff to grow. Without water, what do you get? Nothing. But now, don't praise the hose, boy. Look at the job my hose did. Woo! Your hose is a waste of good money if it doesn't have water in it. All human beings that have ever been employed or called by God to do his bidding, if they were able to do it, they were able to do it because God anointed them. That God gave them words, some greater, some lesser, some a lot, some a little. But if they had anything at all to say, any of us, me and you, if any good thing comes forth from us to anybody, all of it is a glory to God because we're not capable of doing anything. People have said to me, well, after all these years of preaching, I bet you can just get up in the middle of the night and just start preaching. Anybody can put words together. The least of you could put words together. You've heard enough church. You can put two verses together. You could talk about John three 16, couldn't you? God so loved the world. Secondly, that he gave. Thirdly, that whosoever believeth. Fourthly, should not perish. Fifthly, but have everlasting. There's a five-point sermon you don't even preach. Let me ask you something. What if you preached that and it was dead and dry? Was God in it? No, when God is in it, what happens? Lights come on. People are awakened, not because you're good, not because you're gifted. I don't think there's any such thing as being gifted like that. Boy, you just have a special Now That's the anointing. It's what God does. And when God does something, what happens? God does something. Where do I, what praise do I get out of? Look what I did. God said, remember this in the verse here. You are able to do nothing without me. And when it gets done, remember this, I did it. I used you, but I did it. You are still, does that say unprofit? That's not very flattering. You are still, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Wow. So then, Lord, if a man preached for 50 years and led 8,000 people to the Lord and transformed three foreign countries, should we bronze him? Or should we just give thanks to God for such an anointing on a normal, ordinary human being? What did he say about it? E- e- Elisha in the Bible? He was a man of like In James chapter 5, doesn't it say something about this prophet? Whoa. said he was a man of like passions as we are. He was inspired. It will not rain for three years, and God shut the heavens. It's going to rain, and then God opened up the heavens. A man spoke. Was he inspired? He sure was. If you don't think he was, go outside and say, it's going to rain before we get out of here tonight, and it probably won't. But if you're inspired, and it does, we're not going to bronze you. We're not going to have your face put on a plaque and hang up here, Our rainmaker right there. We're not going to do that. Because if it's a miracle, God did it. If people got saved, God saved them. You can't save them. I've seen some of the ones that I saved. And I don't see them anymore, but I've seen them. But when God saves them like he did me, 44 I mean, you're 44 years ago. When he saves you, he saves you. You don't go back. You stay with it. You don't do this or that. You know, you just you just stay with it. You overcome because you don't go back. It's God inside of a man altering a man's life and direction and his thinking. That's the way it works. Now I'm one half through with this message. And I'm not going to repeat the second half yet as fast as I can, like those commercials. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let you all think about what I've said to hold off to next week, and we'll finish this thing next, next week. And in the meantime, I challenge you. I challenge you to ask yourself, what level of faith in God do I really have? Not church membership, not uh, I mean my hookup with God. Do I trust him with all my heart? Most people don't, but that doesn't mean we can't or we won't yet. It's just we're growing. But you've got to start somewhere. You've got to evaluate yourself or you can't make any progress until you see your need. When you see your need, you can grab a hold of the, whole, grab the to plow. Amen. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you thanks tonight for your long suffering toward us, for your kindness to us. We thank you that when we have fallen, you have picked us up, and when we have have failed, you have yet comforted us, and we don't deserve it, but you did. You love us. Our hand is in your hand, Lord, and you will lead us. This journey is not easy and it's long. It's a marathon and not a 100-yard dash. So we pray that we will ourselves realize that you've called us to overcome, to be those people who triumph daily in Christ, who endure to the end and who bring glory to you. We pray for the need that we heard of tonight and that family that the Brother Sherman spoke of. We ask in Jesus' name for all the needs that they have to be met. The things that are not right can be fixed and comfort can come and all of that. And in the name of Jesus, as we release ourselves from this room tonight, We do so asking that you would continue to lead us and guide us. As the psalmist said, that you will instruct us and teach us in the way we should go. That you will guide us with your eye. If that be so, we cannot fail. We cannot lose. We cannot come up short. We ask that you would do it in Jesus' name. All the people said, amen.